how dark of a place humanity has come to. And, and to, to do, do so, so means that the certain influences in the world must be acknowledged. Hello, hello. This is Chris Jansen. This is the End Evil Podcast. We're streaming live tonight on the One Great Work Network, live on Twitch, under Chris Jansen, this show is called How to Escape the Slave Grind, or The Slave Grind. This show is all about ending evil. The goal of end evil is to end evil wherever possible, whenever possible. What is evil? Evil is the destruction of freedom. If you love freedom, if you search diligently for truth, then this is a good show for you. Together, we can employ our imagination and creativity to work towards a better world. So as I was saying, the End Evil podcast is dedicated to working on ending evil whenever and wherever possible. Evil is the destruction of freedom. If you're someone who loves freedom, this is a good show for you. Together we can employ our imagination and we can work together with our creativity and work towards a world without evil. The first thing that needs to go is the religion of authority. And evil isn't what most people think it is. So we're going to work on breaking that down. And we're going to work on explaining things in a different way. Because I know if you're someone like myself and you've come to recognize that there's a problem in the world, most of the people around us don't see it or don't want to see it and or it's minimalized so what we're doing here is working on breaking that down finding the right words to use and being able to explain that to others and getting our words recorded so other people can hear them and we can share these concepts i was going to advertise this last week but last week we also had some technical hiccups so um i watched last weekend the seed four conference which was put on by uh, the wonderful guys at cubbyhole.com, Nate Cap and Douglas Martin, and a special big thanks to Brandon Martin for organizing this event. If you missed the event, uh, go to cubbyhole.com, and you can find out the speakers and look up each of those speakers. I also found on YouTube, the replays are up, and just look up Occulted Knowledge. You can see in the little corner there, I have a little screenshot of what Occulted Knowledge uh, looks like. Um, or check out cubbyhole.com. They're doing great work there. It was an incredible conference with many awesome speakers, including Will Keller, who is my producer today. So that's something for you to enjoy and take on, add to your repertoire of knowledge and words we can use to help kind of get these ideas of freedom out there in the public. And I think the more of us that are talking about it and using different words, the, the better we can do that job. So 
Check out, learn more about occulted knowledge at cubbyhole.com. I also want to make a big thank you to Mr. Mark Passio of whatonearthishappening.com. It's been my inspiration for, uh, for my show and the work that I do here. So, um, this is whatonearthishappening.com and the One Great Work Network where we're streaming live tonight. So I'm very thankful for this opportunity to be on the network and where hopefully some other folks can check out my work and spread it with their friends. You never know whose words are going to work. It's so hard to get through to folks in these these days that uh, we just got to keep trying every way we can think of to explain what's going on in the world and what, what we need to do about it. So just wanted to send a big thanks to What on Earth is Happening, Mark Passio's huge project and undertaking to get this to the point where I could be on here streaming live right now. I also want to uh, send a quick uh, thanks and advertisement out for my friends at naturalfreedomleague.com and my man Dom with veritéconsequence.com, the French uh, presentations about natural law. And Dom's always wearing his end evil shirt, so i got to give him a little adver- advertisement too. And uh, since Will Keller and John Y. Dogan have been in my community here working hard in California to help people understand freedom freedom, and natural law, so you can check out their work at naturalfreedomleague.com. So there's lots of inspiration out there, lots of work to be looking at. We're not alone anymore. And uh, hopefully we can get this ball rolling and end evil in this world. But it's going to take some time. It's going to take some education. It's not something we can do by violence the way government does things. It's something we're going to do by educating folks and speaking the truth. So the truth marches on. It'll come out one way or another. And one of the most wonderful ways that truth has come into my life is through this book, The End of All Evil. This is a book by Jeremy Locke. And uh, it's been the inspiration for this podcast. And the theme of the book is, it just it's easy to read. It's an easy read book. You can download it at um, New Earth University. Last I checked, a day or two ago, it's been on there for a long time. You can download the PDF. And uh, it's a quick read. And it's straightforward and explains in simple terms the problem we're having in the world. So uh, Evil's the Destruction of Freedom is straight from that book. And to me, it's one of the most important phrases I've come up with to share with folks. But I wanted to read you, um, I think it's an inspirational words from the back cover of the book. It says, Never in all of history have the elements been arrayed against evil, manifest in tyranny and slavery as they are today. The dreams that burn in the hearts of billions have been growing stronger through the millennia. The children of this world are owed a liberty from slavery that few are able to comprehend. This is the most exciting era in all of human history. It is the dawn of the freedom of mankind. Some hopeful words. I think it's going to happen eventually. It's just a matter of time. And uh, the trouble is we could go through a lot of misery in the meantime. So 
That's why we need to work on learning how to escape this slave grind that we're trapped in. So this presentation is a continuation from last week. And as we continue to try to understand the mind control spell that has most of humanity locked into a cage of conformity, defying the natural order of the universe, it's hard to understand how people are falling into this religion, dogmatic way of thinking of statism, authority, and Satanism. Although there is hope, as the Book of End Evil uh, describes, things are not going well right now for freedom lovers. We need to work much harder to help people understand the problem, the lack of morality, and the grind people are trapped in is actually slavery. And that is hard to say to people. They don't like to hear that word. They like to imagine slavery as only a very particular time in history or particular place. But slavery has many forms. And this presentation is to help you find the words, the tools, and the knowledge to free yourself and free your fellow human beings for the sake of freedom itself as the most important principle that we need to understand in the world today. I took the imagery from a movie called Conan the Barbarian. Every time I think of slavery, it comes to mind this picture from Conan the Barbarian of him pushing this immense wheel around and around. And I looked it up, and it's called the Wheel of Pain. The Wheel of Pain is an image that I've decided to use for this presentation because it also reminds me of the grind, which is the trap that most people are stuck in. And the easiest way to define the type of slavery that most people are experiencing on this side of the world is debt slavery. And debt slavery is a tricky, sinister type of slavery, but it does control your actions and your thoughts and your mind if you allow it to. And if all of us uh, begin to separate from that way of doing things, it won't work anymore. So what we're going to do here is just work on explaining how it works and looking at it and looking at how we use words, and that will help us redefine our reality because thoughts actually become reality as we put thoughts into action. So this, by concentrating on these subjects and re defining what words actually mean, it will also change our way of looking at things, and then that will change the way we actually do things. So, the wheel of pain. I recently brought up the idea to some friends who'd never heard this term before of natural law. And I was trying to explain to these folks that um, basically the difference between harm and not harm. And some people I found were kind of confused by that, saying, um, you know, what I was saying is a right. What we were having the discussion about was rights. And I was saying a right is something that doesn't cause harm. 
And what someone's reply was, and I, I think it's a fair reply. Most people would normally say this. Well, harm can mean any number of things. What do you mean by harm? So I decided in this beginning of presentation just to start with the basics. The basic grammar, what are we talking about here? Trivium style. What's the definition of harm? Well, harm, if you look it up on Merriam-Webster, it says physical or mental damage or injury. That's pretty simple or basic, right? So what does good mean? What I'm defining good is simple. Actions that are not harmful. So things you do that don't cause mental damage or injury to others. And then evil is the opposite of that. Actions that are harmful. And it seems like such a simple concept, but in our modern society, um, we defy these basic concepts day in, day out. Killing is approved of by governments and churches alike. Almost all people give their money freely in the form of taxes, which are not voluntary. They're derived by force and violence and harm. And people continue to condone this because they're accustomed to, because they're conditioned to. Even religions abide by these governmental laws, and they don't refuse to use the money system as a way to value things, even though a moral person, as Jesus taught, would give up all earthly possessions to enter the kingdom of heaven. However, people still make their decisions based on money on a daily basis, and whether we're going to buy a new church or or whether we're going to do one thing or another. It's very difficult to find anybody who will defy the laws of the land because they actually believe in their morals first. So I know there's people out there that are feeding the hungry and trying to do good things. There's people that care. And there's, in fact, I've been part of church groups that do amazing things and homeless feeds and this type of thing. I'm not putting any of that down. But when we accept the larger global problem, there's strings attached. Every community is is giving their attention and their focus to these structures of authority that continue to require this grind, this acceptance of rules, whether you agree with them or not. And that's not working out well for humanity. And for many of us who feel trapped or overwhelmed, it's not working for us on a personal level either. So freedom is the opposite of slavery. All that diminishes freedom, um, in other words, things that challenge and take away your personal choice, are evil. They're wrong. Evil's harm. So when you uh, give your money to an institution that is doing terrible things around the world and stepping on people's rights, then you're contributing to evil. And we don't want to keep doing that. So what we need to do is help people understand this basic, simple concept of what good is and what evil is and what harm is. So we'll go in a little more detail in uh, coming slides here. What is harm? Well, I always liked the way it was defined in What on Earth is Happening by Mark Passio. There's basically seven types of harm you can classify simply. Um, stealing, assault, trespassing, murder, lying, coercion, rape. You know, people get all hung up on what does this mean, but we can define it 
pretty easily here. Of course, there's always going to be certain gray areas. There's always going to be uh, room for argument on some of these things. Um, depends on the circumstances in each each situation, and that's why rules across the board rules like laws made by an authority structure are never going to work because they're not going to be fair because they're not going to be um, in the situation dealing with what's actually happening. They're just going to be, you know, these situations need scrutiny, they need personal care, and they need the people involved in the situation in every case to define what really happened when it comes to the little gray areas in between. But the bold strokes are simple, you know, lying, stealing, any type of stealing. These are all types of stealing. Any type of taking something from somebody does them harm or injury, whether it's bodily or psychological. If you're lying to someone and you're basically presenting a false reality, you're stealing their opportunity to interpret the true reality. So, you know, lying is a type of stealing. All these all these types of harm are, are stealing. They're taking something that's not yours or assuming that you have the right to have something that you don't. So let's get back to the basics. These things should be really simple, but honestly, I didn't come to understand this until, you know, late in my 30 or 30s, early 40s. So I'm not shocked that most other people don't. And um, that's why I'm out here trying to explain it in a way that if my 38-year-old self were listening, I might understand better and quicker and not have to go through the struggle I went through. So let's move on to our next slide. Do you love your job? Do you really love what you do? Do you ever feel like you're working on the chain gang? Do you ever feel like your work is drudgery? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with hard work. It's good to work hard. It's part of life, whether it be finding food, surviving, whatever we'd be doing without this normal structure, there would be hard work involved. But drudgery is kind of like a more sinister term than just hard work. That's why I showed this picture here to sort of make a comparison between these these you know, older, more typical view of the chain gang where we see people that are basically prisoners. And then we can see this modern picture here of people sitting in their cubicles with their masks on in front of computers. And um, really, what's the difference here? You know, one's a more sanitized, less dirty, and they're really basically the same thing. If people come to love this lifestyle of sitting in front of computers with masks on, keeping six feet apart from each other, and working on something that they don't really care about, they're they're kind of confused and lost. I think we've all had to do jobs we didn't really like, but we know we have to do them. And there is an aspect to life that requires doing things we don't like. I'm not arguing that that's not the case. However, being forced to do them by coercion under threat of violence is a whole nother thing. And that's what we want to defend ourselves against and learn to recognize it for what it is and use the term that applies. If you have to do something that you don't want to do and somebody else is having some sort of threat over you, then they're putting you in a slave situation. And that is the way our structure of our society is set up. And this is what needs to be reversed. And there are ways and we're going to talk about some of those ways. 
But for now, I just kind of wanted to make the comparison, the correlation, so you can start to see what I'm talking about. And maybe this will help us to explain to others, you know, what this is that we're talking about when we say slavery. It's not just being chained and working in the dirt. It can be, it can be being chained to your computer and being forced to do things you don't want to do. And I think the argument I would get there from a lot of folks is, well, you know, we have to do a job and you can always leave a job. You don't have to work a job. But the thing is, you do because you have to pay the bills. And one of those bills is going to be a compulsory taxes. One of those bills are going to be to energy that is owned and monopolized. And these uh, corporations and monopolies of energy systems have gotten so big that they no longer care about the individual. And they're just going to keep raising prices and putting the crunch and the grind on the average human being. So it becomes a grind. It becomes drudgery. The wheel of pain going round and round, day after day. People getting up, not really feeling like going, but doing it anyway because they have to. People feeling overwhelmed, not having enough money, feeling like they're stuck in a time trap. The nine to five time trap has most people completely stuck. And not to say there aren't those folks who have managed to escape a day-to-day work. And those are the lucky few that financially have gotten ahead or have managed to find some ways to um, leverage their skills in certain ways to where they're doing a little better than the rest people. But usually it's at the at the cost of somebody else being poor or broke. In fact, it always is because the way that our money system works is nobody can get ahead if somebody else isn't falling behind. Bankruptcy is built into the monetary system as it exists, the fiat money system that we're using, because it's centrally controlled by a group of people that really don't care about you or me. So what we find ourselves is in a trap. And if you don't feel this, if you've never felt this, then you're living a very special life. Most of us have been looking at the clock, trying to see, um, you know, is it time to leave yet? How much longer do I have to be here? And feeling stuck and frustrated by this this trap. And it's uh, I was going to talk a little bit about the Gregorian calendar. If you can see the little picture in the corner, this is an invention. The way that time is measured even is a trap. And it's been in play for quite some time. And if you want to do a little research into the Gregorian calendar, you can see that you know, it's a structure itself. It's not the only way to look at time. We could look at time much differently. We've just become accustomed and conditioned to this system. And an interesting thing that also occurs to me in thinking about this subject is our time-saving devices. You can imagine at the time, um, 50, 60, 70 years ago, when a lot of devices were being created, um, when electricity, alternating current, People were getting the first dryers and washing machines and these type of things. I'm sure that people in that time imagined that in the future we would only have to work 
a few hours a day because now we have all these machines to take care of things for us. But what has happened? Really, nothing's changed. People are working just as much as more, and now we have to spend more time maintaining all this technology. Sure, yeah, people have gotten lazier and spending more time sitting still. It's just a different type of work. But still, we're enslaved to pay these bills, to pay these taxes, to just survive. And this is a way we can recognize how slavery has changed in the modern age and debt slavery. Staring at that clock, waiting for time to change. Here's some of the sayings you hear in the workplace. Some of the things that bounced around in my head when I was thinking about this subject. People will say, if you're working for them, your time is our time. That doesn't sound quite like freedom, does it? Time is money. Well, time is also your energy. So money and energy are also equivalent, which is an interesting concept to think about there. Do as you're told starts very young, as you're a child in school, and follows you into the workplace as you're trained to be a citizen, through schooling, to do as you're told, stand in line, and follow orders. So these types of ways of thinking are ingrained into our minds at a very young age. And pull your weight isn't necessarily in itself a bad statement. But when you put it in context with the slave grind and the wheel of pain that I'm describing, there's a coercion, there's an extra pressure here that if you don't pull your weight, you're going to get smashed by society. And we see people all on the sides of the roads, homeless people all over California as I drive up and down the roads, people in terrible shape. And you ask yourself, you know, if the government's going to take care of everybody, why are there so many people that are not being cared for? Well, maybe they don't want to be part of the system because the system itself is damaged and it comes from a place of taking, stealing from others stealing your time, and you're continually working for the same amount of money while everything costs more and more through inflation. Inflation is one of the ways we can see how slavery works. It's like slowly pulling back the curtain, slowly turning up the heat and boiling us frogs. So let's get to the definition here. The definition of slavery. I took the etymology from the 1550s. Slavery meant severe toil, hard work, or drudgery, like I described in the earlier slide. By Cambridge Online Dictionary, slavery is defined as the activity of legally owning other people who are forced to work for or obey you. So all of us, by this definition, are owned by the central bankers. All of us, by this definition, are owned by the government because we have to continually pay them whether we like it or not. And that money, as we described in the previous slide, is your energy. Your energy is your time. And if someone demands your energy or your time and you don't get a choice to 
as to whether you want to give that to them or not, then they're stealing it from you. They're taking it from you. They're making you their slave. That's how it works. So even by traditional definition from the Cambridge Online Dictionary, it's pretty evident that being forced to work or obey is a type of slavery. And I don't see how you could not see that that is going on around us. If you stopped working and stopped paying, someone's going to come looking for you and they're going to demand that money or you're going to wind up locked up or you're going to wind up dead, one or the other. So unless we find a way to defend ourselves and form communities to protect the average person, that the system of authority will rage on and continue to enslave folks. I'm not really fond of this. So what is evil work? Evil work is harmful behavior. If you see the pictures I chose for this slide, what you'll see is a picture of some police. Uh, looks like they're stepping on some people that were having some sort of protest. They're heavily armed, got their visors on. And then you see next to that a picture of the courtroom. And there next to that, you see a picture of a police officer pushing a man's face into the vehicle and handcuffing him. And then the picture of a jail cell. So these are all examples of coercion. They're examples of stealing and examples of lying. So your average person would probably think to themselves, who's aggressor in these pictures? They would think um, the prisoners, the activists, the speeding driver. But it's the opposite. The system itself accepts collateral damage. It accepts family trauma. And it accepts the lack of freedom. What I find interesting about this is so many of these situations, the way authoritarians and statists want to live, it requires somebody suffering every time something goes wrong. And what that also does is it doesn't give the opportunity for someone who does a wrong to do the right thing. It forces them that, just like when you think about how we teach children, you do want to explain to them when they're young, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You know, that's not good. And you explain to them why. But the whole idea is to instill in them the understanding of right and wrong so that as they grow older, they can think for themselves. However, we have a society that thinks that people can't grow up. And it accepts this way of being as being, we're just going to allow the system to take care of people that haven't grown up rather than explain to them or forcefully show them what's right and wrong. And that could be done by each of us if we took the responsibility instead of putting that responsibility on this other entity. So what happens is we've created a system where people are doing evil work and calling it good. But it's really not. It's stealing. If you take people from their homes, 
then you're kidnapping them. Doesn't matter what costume you wear or who told you to do it. Um, in the case of the courtroom, that's some of the worst slavery going on. It's a system that is set up that has no end. It just will continually put people in the slammer day after day, you know, hammer after hammer on that table is another person getting put in jail. And so many of those people haven't actually harmed anyone. They've just done something that is wrong by the letter of the law, which can be changed. It's arbitrary. We can see situations where laws have been on the books. Alcohol was illegal for many years. People went to jail. People died in jail. Cannabis. And then all of a sudden, on another day, it's legal. And the same thing that you could have gone to jail or died for previously is now okay. So there's no consistency in the morality when it comes to allowing ourselves to be obedient to laws which are arbitrary, depending on who's in charge or the majority of people in a certain area like it one way or the other, which is just their fancy. And it's not really about what's right and wrong. And as I described earlier in the presentation, there clearly is a difference between right and wrong, and we don't need even the dictionary to figure that out, but but we have the words defined, and it is pretty straightforward, and there's no reason to steal from people if they haven't done any harm. So, you know, the other aspect of that is, you know, sometimes things are going to go wrong. Let's just say, for instance, you run over somebody's pet, Okay. You know, it's your responsibility to find the owner, try to make some kind of reparations. But that's an opportunity also. Sometimes that's how friends are made. Sometimes you make a mistake, you apologize, you offer to pay for it or do some work, and that person then accepts or doesn't accept. You know, there could be some conflict, but that's part of the natural flow of things. And we can't expect an outside entity to come and solve all these problems because what instead we get is... A total system of chaos where we're all owned. So the legal system often gets in the way of not allowing things to take their natural course. It robs the people of their ability to just figure it out on their own. It's like a crutch. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have structured meetings, you know, or councils, mediations, mediators, but the difference is that everyone would have the right to defend themselves in society that did not rely on coercion. We instead would rely on the principle of self-defense. This current system of force leads to loss of life due to enforcement of fear. And this is done through evil work, harmful behavior. The system itself is a mockery of nature's pre-existing law, which is the inherent law, which is characterized in the Gadsden flag, with the rattlesnake, which symbolizes the self-defense principle. Another aspect of the way you can see how the grind is working in our society is how people indulge on their weekends. I can't remember who I was talking to that pointed this out to me, that how the words sound the same, weekend and weakened. We're weakened by the week under the clock, under the spell of the calendar, waiting every day to get out to go do something fun because we're feeling what? Trapped and overwhelmed. So when people want to get out, they tend to overdo it 
they tend to indulge in things that really don't make them feel good in the long run. You're looking forward to a big weekend, go out, do a bunch of drinking, maybe jump off a cliff, maybe go to a concert, and you come back at the end of the weekend more tired than when the weekend began. So oftentimes, sports, games, you know, although it's good for health, if you're involved out doing sports, more than often what we see is sports games that are people watching the TV, watching other people play, and sitting there drinking alcohol and eating junk food. And at these games, that's all they're going to sell you. There's not going to be anything healthy. And what does that do? Does that make you a better, stronger human being, or does that make you a weakened human being? So this is part of the the um, other side of the grind where we see how it how it expresses itself partying drugs extreme weekend warriors media sports these are ways to escape for a few moments or a couple of days but often become destructive to our bodies and to our soul also it's indulgence of selfish behavior and i'm not saying i you shouldn't have fun i'm all for trying to have some fun here and there and we ha- especially have to in in that Many of us have to come back to this drudgery, and we have to look for ways to recharge ourselves. But I would recommend for those of us who are trying to transcend this cycle is to think of what things you do on your weekend that don't weaken you, that you can do that make you stronger and prepare you for the future. And some of those things might be preparing to start your own type of business or product or service to get out of the grind or work together with others and form a community that are more resilient. You know, the sixth cycle, the cycle of enforcement and drudgery that leads to this extreme behavior, like the weekend warriors, you know, that's for those who can afford it, people that have the money. But you think about people that have a lot of money. You know, there's this ideal in our society that being rich is so great. But think about how many rock stars die of overdose. You know, have you ever considered why they're so tortured? You know, why why are people who are doing a job that's supposed to be something they love wind up so often dead or overdosed on drugs? You know, what what type of job is worth dying for is a good question. You know, how many people are out there doing something that they care about so much that they would die for it? You know, People working for big tech companies that have jumped out of high-rise buildings or people hating their life. You know, some folks are living the dream, but it's all about under the rule, the thumb of whoever's in charge at the time. And even the people that are living the dream, they're wealthy, although they may have certain freedoms that others don't, are still... Um, indebted to their rulers. We can think of past wars like World War II where uh, rich bankers and singers and doctors became naked and huddled in trains almost overnight. That because people, that happened because people trusted the authority, allowed the authority at the time to overwhelm them and to become so powerful that it could choose certain members of the population who didn't deserve to live anymore. And that happened pretty quickly. And we can see that happen again if we're not careful in our own society. 
And in some places around the world, we already do see that type of thing happening. This comes from a trusting authority and not allowing it to become the behemoth that it is. It should have been nipped in the bud, but it didn't happen. So what we have to do is understand the situation, be able to explain it to others, and work together to change that. We have the opportunity to begin a new era. This information is no longer secret. This information is out there. You and I right now have the ability to be part of the change, to educate others. So let's think about what work does to us. The nine to five job. What I'm talking about, the drudgery. You see a picture here of a man in front of his computer dangling his mouse. And I thought of some words that came to my mind when I thought about my times working in the office space, for instance. Complacency, passivity, and boredom. What do these things lead to? if you do them every day for so many hours per day. They lead to irritability, moody, unproductive people. We've all experienced this. And my statement and conclusion on that subject is, if you don't care about what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it. And it's not as easy as snapping your fingers and changing that overnight. It takes time. It takes working together. I'm trying to work on that for years now. It's not a simple task. We've been on this grind for so long that we're stuck going around that wheel of pain over and over like Conan the Barbarian in the movie for our whole life. And it gets frustrating. We get irritable. So what would you care about doing? What is your life's purpose? Why are you here? These are the questions that I would recommend people be asking themselves. How long are people going to accept a life of nothing worthwhile but personal unsatisfying rewards that are based on compliance? What we have to do is become irritable with the situation and realize that we need to break out of that. And so that's not easily done, but the sooner we came to that realization, the sooner we can start making that change. And the more of us that are doing it, the more we can give each other a boost and purchase things, products from one another rather than from these behemoth corporations that are sponsoring the type of lying behavior that's destroying the world and leading to more and more suffering. So here's... Conan, he's getting bigger now. Nice shot of the leg muscles there. Pushing the wheel of pain around and around and around. And how many of us feel like this in our daily lives, feeling stuck and frustrated with the situation we're in? So here's the questions. What are the things we need to survive without authoritarian structures of control. When I discuss the idea of anarchy with folks, they tend to get really confused to what I'm talking about. Anarchy means no rulers. It does not mean chaos. So what would it take to have 
a society with no rulers. You know, obviously we couldn't transition there overnight, and I think that's what overwhelms people when you begin to discuss these ideas. They say, well, how are we going to get there from here? Well, here's my answer. It's um, actually came up with seven things that would be required, and the first three are understandings, basically. Alignment with truth. So that would be caring about honesty. That would have to be like priority number one. That would be the first thing we would want to teach our children and the first thing we would teach if we had some sort of educational structure. Alignment with truth. So we're all on the same page. We're all in agreement on what truth is, that there is a such thing of truth, that it's not just anybody's decision or whoever has the most money or power gets to decide what truth is. And that's what we have a lot in being taught in school in terms of history. History is told by the people that win the battles. History has been told by the people that have done the stealing. So first we need to align ourselves with truth, which means looking deeper into things that have happened in the past, and it means scrutinizing things that are happening now and talking about them, communicating about what's happening. That seems to be a big struggle in the modern world where basic communication is hampered. So then we would, the next thing that we would need to work on, or not next, it's they, they go hand in hand, the understanding of natural law, that everything you do matters. So it's not just willy-nilly get what you want and then die or see who collects the most things before you die. It's uh, understanding that there's a balance in nature and there's a balance in creation and everything you do costs something. So when you take something from somebody, then then you know that that's going to cause a problem. They're going to want to take something back. There's there's always every time you throw a rock in the water, there's a ripple that goes across the water in every direction, and that's to me a good symbol of everything we do matters. And for some reason, even though that's a pretty basic concept, it's pretty well hidden in the popular view in society. And then, of course, we have objective morality, and that's what I was talking about with the idea of truth, that we don't just make up anything. You know, if you just make up a story about something that happened, you're basically telling a lie. So it takes, sometimes it takes some hard work to find the truth of things. But there is a such thing of truth, and there is a such thing as objective morality. There are certain things we just know to be wrong. Like I talked about earlier in the slide that talked about harm. I don't know who would disagree that those seven things are harm, those different types of stealing. Uh, a psychopath might disagree. So we have to recognize that there is this problem in world of psycho psychopathy, psychopaths. They are out there. And the only way that we really be able to deal with those people is to be honest with ourselves that they do exist and they need to be um, dealt with. We need to be able to defend ourselves against them. But our current system allows the psychopaths to be the very people in charge. Those are the rulers. So we kind of have things backwards the way it is now. So how would we get from where we are now to where we want to be on this? It would require community. It would require working together. We're not um, 
a solo species. Humans don't do well all alone by themselves out in the middle of nowhere. There's rare the individual that can do that. For the most part, we humans are a communal species. We need each other. And that's how we get things done. None of us know how to do everything. You know, I'm somebody who knows how to build a house. However, I don't necessarily know all all the other aspects that need to be happen in, in society. I'm not um, good with biology. I'm not particularly good with chemistry. I'm not the best mathematician. So if there weren't people that understood how to do those things, um, gathering herbs is something I need to learn from somebody who knows more about that than I do. So we each have skills and we put them together and we're able to have a community and get things done. That's how it's been done for generations on this planet. And government has been an invention that came along and started saying, oh no, this is how we should do it. And that is allowing psychopaths to make the rules. And we need to recognize that that's what it is. So it also would require coordination. You know, when, when you describe breaking down some of the current structures, getting away from these structures, people, that's why, you know, the word anarchy gets so confused because people imagine chaos. Like we can't get along, we can't do things together. But we can. I've seen coordination happen. And it just requires good communication, it, which is another word that I could have added to this list. Good communication. It requires cooperation. You know, that means dealing with people with different issues and taking responsibility for problems like I described. You have an accident, you make a mistake, it happens, you communicate with the other people involved, and we work on what's the solution. How can we make this right or how can we move on and get around it? These are things that we do in day-to-day life, and the only problem is that too all too often folks want to pawn off this responsibility on some other entity that we call the authority, and we need to do away with that type of thinking because it's not doing us any good long-term. And the last, and I would say the most important um, word I put on this slide is care. You have to care in that to make to make things better for everyone. And not just about yourself and your own personal needs and desires, but about what's best for all concerned. We have, we have all these tools. This can be done. This is not impossible. If I can dream about it and think about it, other people can dream about it and think about it. And we put our heads together and we can make these things happen. It's not impossible and it can be done without coercion. But it's not going to happen all at once. It's got to happen little by little, like I said. So let's start by understanding what it is that needs to be happen and communicate that to others. That's kind of what I'm here to do. So moving right along. Like I was just talking about, the word anarchy means no rulers. And that also means having a core purpose. I showed this pictures here because it shows a picture of, whoops, actually jumped forward a slide there and I didn't mean to do that yet. Let's go back. Okay, there we go. Uh, you, you see the picture here with the geese flying. The geese fly in a certain formation, which is, this is a really interesting um, concept here. When we think about how nature organizes itself and has this ability to coordinate like I was talking about and communicate and able to achieve amazing things. 
So I found a cool, um, uh, a good article on the web called sevengeese.com, seven lessons we can learn from geese to succeed at work. And I'm going to read to you a little bit of that. As each goose flaps its wings, it creates uplift, an aerodynamics orientation that reduces air friction for the birds that follow. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock achieves a 70% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. Okay, by flying in this V shape, they also increase visibility. Flying in a V formation increases the visibility as every goose can see what's happening in front of them. When a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the friction of flying alone. It then quickly adjusts its mistake and moves back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front of it. Um, Empowering others to lead. When the lead goose in the front gets tired, it rotates back into the formation and allows another goose to take the leadership position. This is an important concept. I want to talk about this just a little bit because this is the idea of leadership. And so often in our society, there's only certain people that we accept as leaders or experts. But as we can see with the geese, they take turns. And there's um, in our life, the way I would compare that is, like I was describing before, we each have certain skills and knowledge. And we rely on other people who have more skills or knowledge than we do, depending on the subject matter. If I wanted to cook a gourmet feast, I would go talk to somebody I knew who's really good at cooking gourmet feasts before I took it on. So leadership can be something that we switch around and trade as needed. It's something we could coordinate, okay? So uh, our modern concept we have in our head of this structure that always has to be one leader, and this person's in charge, creates a situation where psychopathic people are running the world, where we have all these intelligent, smart people with all these skills all around us, and you look at nature... How can nature do it? It doesn't have any kings or queens or leaders. Anyway, I'm going to move on to the number five from the website, the Seven Geese website. Always recognizing great work. The geese honk to recognize each other and encourage those up front to keep up their speed, like I was talking about, communication. Offering support in challenging times. When a goose gets sick or wounded, two geese drop out of formation and follow it down to help it and protect it. They stay with it until it dies or is able to fly again. Then they launch out with another formation or catch up with the flock. Caring for each other. That's like what I was talking about, care. This is happening naturally all around us in nature. How do they do it? Here's the next point, number seven. Staying committed to core values and purpose. The geese migration routes never vary. They use the same route year after year. Even when the flock members change, the young learn the route from their parents. In the spring, they will go back to the spot where they were born. To me, this makes me think of um, indigenous tribes where knowledge has been passed down for generations, where healers know where to find certain plants, and they use those certain plants to heal others or to create food or ceremonies that keep people healthy because it recognizes the seasons. 
And these things are done generation, generationally by communication and teaching from mother to daughter, father to son, and um, one generation to the next. The lesson here is to stay true to our core values and purpose. Strategies, tactics, and products may change in order for an organization to remain agile, but great companies always stick to their core purpose. So this website was bringing all this up for the point of like um, corporation training to make a stronger business, but these concepts all apply to everything we do. Again, if you want to look at this, it's sevengeese.com. Seven lessons we can learn from geese to succeed at work. So we can learn from these um, geese and from, you know, and another thing I think about is ants. Ants are pretty amazing. You know, you don't really see them communicating, but somehow a few little ants show up in your kitchen and then there's hundreds coming in a line. They, they have a system. They all work together. And they don't have like um, any slave masters, you know, standing on the side whipping them. They just know what to do, and they all have a a job, and they all do it. It's like um, inherent in their nature to want to do what's best for their community. So humans have gone away from what nature's teaching us, and often it's occurred to me that that's part of the reason that nature is around us is to be our teacher. It seems so obvious to me that it is the book. You know, the living book, the living word that the creation has provided for us to understand a better way to live. So let's, let's be a little bit more like the geese and, um, align in our core purpose, our core purpose and values and work on our teamwork and our communication and our cooperation. And by doing those things, we can free ourselves from these psychopathic rulers that are running the world. And let's not be overwhelmed because this isn't going to happen overnight. Like I said, this isn't a simple process. You know, naysayers will say that it's impossible to change things. But I would say a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. That's a quote from Lao Tzu. And a good way to think about this situation. This is a long haul problem. This isn't a problem that we're going to solve in a couple days or a couple years. You know, it might take generations. It might take a really long time. It's a process. But are you taking those first steps? What steps are you taking? That's the question you want to be asking yourself. It starts from each of us taking one step at a time and working together. I think it is possible to have a world without government. In the last couple years in my personal life, I took some big leaps of faith. Um, Those choices cost me dearly in some cases. However, I've discovered that the rewards I've never dreamed of. For instance, right now, I'm speaking on Mark Passio's website, you know, one of my heroes. Once you uncover the bullshit from your thinking and see the world for what it really is, there's no turning back. You can't put your head back in the sand And it will bring you sadness and anxiety and depression if you don't act on what you've learned, what you know to be the truth. Truth is a sword that cuts through everything. It's just a matter of time. It's not up to some hero. It's up to you. You are the only hero of significance in your life and in your community. The universe 
rewards bravery. So nothing that is important or amazing that's done in the world is done without hard work and diligence. Like I said before when I talked about drudgery, hard work is a natural part of existence. However, what's the difference is when we're doing hard work because we care about something and it doesn't feel like drudgery when you're when it's aligned with your purpose. So that's where that drudgery word comes in. When you start to feel the drudgery and like the other slide we talked about the complacency and the irritability, that's when you know that you're not in alignment with your core principles and what really matters, your purpose. So how do you do that? You take the initiative. A lot of times we get these little thoughts in our head. We get these feelings that tell us to go out and do something, to um, make a choice, to be brave. And and I've had this experience in life when I make those choices, when I do those steps of bravery, that there's a reward. The universe brings something. You know, things change. Things shuffle around when you when you take the steps. So this is meant to inspire you to be brave and get out there, do those things that you've been thinking about. Yeah, you're going to make some mistakes, you're going to stumble a little bit, but every time you make a mistake, that's one step closer to the thousand-mile journey or the million-mile journey. So what are you doing to take the initiative? Are you being the change that you want to see in the world? And lastly, the most important saying here, you are the hero that you've been waiting for. So it's inside of you. And I think most people know this, but we have to keep saying it to ourselves and encouraging one another because there are so many things in our society that try to devalue the individual, that try to um, hold back the individual. And one of those things is the religions of the world. Religion actually means... One way to look at the derivation is to hold back or to bind. So dogmatic thinking keeps people from being able to become a hero in many ways because it tells you that you don't have the skills or the value. It's up to someone else or you're waiting for a savior of someone else to come take care of it. But when in truth, you know, it's up to us. So the biggest lesson here of all is the key to changing things, the key to ending evil in our world. Here's a quote from Jeremy Locke from the book, The End of All Evil. You are the key to teach the people of earth the value that they have within themselves. You need only to speak and tell them that every good thing is theirs to have. You need only tell them that the glory of liberty is real and that it belongs to them. Just the suggestion, the seed, planting the seed, you know, it it's, seems so simple, but I lived almost 40 years of my life and no one ever explained to me what freedom really meant. I just accepted it as being something that everybody already had because I was told and when I was a kid in school that you're living in the land of the free. However, as you get older, you begin to realize how many ways you're locked in, how many ways you're cut off. 
And depending on your nationality, your race, your sex, your gender, your age, all these different determinators, society will put you into different places. Look in India where they still have a caste system where if you're born in a certain family, then you're never expected to rise above a certain level. Here in America, we have this pretense that you can be anything you want. However, any of us that have spent time in poor neighborhoods and big cities realize that the largest percentage of people wind up in very certain situations because they're held down by the court system, by tickets, by all this pressure of money and the rising costs of things around us today, the housing costs and housing shortages in the areas where I live. I've gotten totally out of control, which is increasing the homeless population, which is increasing the need for people to steal because they don't have everything they need. So this is all results of an authoritarian evil structure that constantly, instead of giving people a freedom of choice, it takes that freedom away and says, nope, this is how we're going to do it. And people have this idea in their head that because there's a voting system, that that makes freedom. But when you actually look deeply into how a voting system works, it really, your real, you really, your little vote doesn't count for much of anything. And it really depends on the majority. So that means that 51% of the population can make a new rule and the other 49% are always going to be frustrated. So I don't know how people got convinced that that's the only way to do things. But I've seen many cases on a smaller scale where we don't do things that way. We do things much more like the geese, where we fly in formation. And some of the ways you can see that done are teams of people, like um, in medical situations where people join together and they all know their job they're supposed to do. It's not always the same person who's the leader. Sometimes it's the first person that shows up. And that person becomes the leader of the situation until they hand it off to somebody else who has more experience. It's the same way on a construction job site where the person with the most experience and knowledge often becomes the person to be the leader and to take control of the situation. So we don't always need to delegate authority to people in suits that give fake speeches that they didn't even write. You know, that that just creates a situation where people have too much power in very few people where, you know, power can be shared among many, many people. And if you think about the technology that we have these days, we could use that technology and let technology to leverage everybody's ability to actually say what they wanted. We could compute everybody's wishes and how much energy and time they're willing to donate to get those wishes and we could compute and find out, you know, the even how, how to spread, the, spread that out, how to make it actually happen. We, we've seen it done on smaller cases. We've worked together with other people on teams and gotten projects done. If you ever have, you, you can see it's really not impossible at all. It's just those words I was talking about coordination, community care, and, um, Seem like there's one more good CO word, coordination. I already said that. But nevertheless, you get the point. It can be done. But like I said, like Jeremy Locke said, you are the key. Look in the magic glass to find the solution. 
it's magic, right? It starts from you and I. You know, uh, a couple years ago, I was just imagining making these presentations that I've already made now. But I put I put my foot on the pedal and I pushed myself. I had to do it after work, after a long day, spending hours in front of the computer, which I don't even like doing, <laughs> to put things together to explain myself. And I still am only reaching very few people with my words. But those few people that are listening you know, they, they wouldn't have me to listen to if I hadn't taken those actions. So this mirror is for you to look in and ask yourself, what are you doing? Are you working on yourself? Are you making changes? Are you taking that next Lao Tzu step on the journey to find the solutions? And I would say one of the biggest things is, you know, if you're feeling alone and frustrated with this knowledge that you've gained is get out there and make some friends there's all kinds of social media platforms. There's all kinds of groups, people that care about these things. There's um, networks like the Freedom Cell Network where you can look up other people in your area and put an advertisement out, explain what you're working on, and so people can find you. If you're not out there shouting it out somehow, how are, how's anybody going to find you? How are you going to connect with these other people? It takes that bravery. It takes that initiative. And it takes time, which is your energy. So it's really a reinvestment of yourself. And as we, those of us that care, begin to reinvest and put our energy and our time into caring about others and caring about the the universal spirit of life, humanity itself, freedom itself, the principles, then we're going to see improvement in the world. And we're going to see evil diminish. It's just a slow grind. Like I, that's why I call it the grind. So um, let's put the ball back in our court and start grinding towards the solutions of the world that we want to see. So I thought this was right towards the end of my um, slave grind presentation was a good opportunity to uh, do a little advertisement for autonomy. This is... Um, School of Learning, the University of Logic, University of um, Networking that that I've joined, run by um, Richard Grove and Joshua Hale, and it's an amazing um, thing to be a part of. There's people in there that are doing real work, trying to teach others the skills and the knowledge necessary to become free from the chains that bind you, which in many cases for us are the things I've described in this presentation, the slave job, the grind. Um, as you begin to learn freelancing skills and network other people that are trying to sell their own product or service or get their message out to the world, then you get better at it. You practice. Autonomy gives you some of these tools. Many of these tools are available and, um, you know, lectures every weekend for 12 weeks and classes going on all through the week, constant chats with other people that are involved. So I would highly recommend to check out getautonomy.info backslash ignite or just type in autonomy and you'll find it's on YouTube and you can find um, links all over the place. So that's one way to go. 
there are others. This is just one possibility that I'm sharing with you of a way to network and leverage your ability to make this change in the world. So at this point in the presentation, I'm going to share with you um, stuff from my earlier presentations in the End Evil presentation series. These are. Uh, this is a cut from part one, The Value one, of Life. The Value of Life. Freedom of Choice. Or Freedom of Choice. This section is designed to challenge the listener to fully appreciate the gift of life. The freedom to exist, to move around and see and think and feel, is impossible to quantify because there's nothing of more value other than the gift of life itself that we know of in our experience. Now, some of the reasons life is undervalued have to do with past trauma and violence that have occurred in the history of the human race and continue to persist, such as war. Viktor Frankl, a man who survived the Nazi concentration camps, is quoted, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any, get of, in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. A very important concept exists between freedom and choice. What freedom is there without choice? To choose your attitude is your last resort, as in Nazi Germany, Viktor Frankl was pushed to the very last thread a man can still survive from, and he understood this better than anyone. Your attitude is your direction or focus. Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, tells the story 
of Victor's horrific experience in the hands of the Nazis, losing his entire family, mostly to the gas chambers. This incredible man survived and managed to bring wisdom to the world and gain strength from the experience. He is a shining example of just how valuable one human being can be. Not only did he survive, he used his experience as a tool to help others and to create a better world. Next, I'm going to show you an excerpt from a documentary about the Nuremberg Trials. The reason is, the, the World War II atrocities give us a vivid and lasting picture for what evil becomes when manifest in the world in its full, physical, brutal, shocking outcome. What is truly important is to recognize the incredible value of every single soul in every part of life, because it is all part of what you are. We are interconnected with each other. Every other human being on this earth is part of one family of beings. A wise human would not cut off his own finger or toe. To cause harm to other humans is akin to cannibalism. No one should want destruction of their own species. The prosecution introduced a film called Nazi Concentration Camps, a compilation of death camp horrors which was assembled by America's noted film director, George Stevens. Many of these scenes were being shown to the world for the first time and produced unimaginable revulsion. Weeping broke out in the courtroom. Women fainted. And time after time, the words of the leaders and followers who had caused it all arose from written records to condemn them. Himmler had summed up the ethic. I did not feel justified in exterminating the men while allowing their children to grow up to avenge themselves. General Yodel said, If we had disobeyed, we would have been arrested. And rightly so. Hearst quoted his boss Adolf Eichmann as saying, he would leap laughing into the grave because the feeling that he had five million people on his conscience would be a source of extraordinary satisfaction. From the book, The End of All Evil. Simple. Truth is always simple. All people recognize truth because all people are intelligent beings. It is the nature of evil to create artificially complex ideas. It does this to hide or obfuscate the freedom it destroys. If you remove the complexities and fears from your life, you will find a plain and beautiful truth. This truth is the nature of your worth. As a human being, you are very special. You are unlike the minerals, the plants, or the animals of the earth. Nothing commands the abilities of intelligence like you. Nothing else has such complete and total ambition to satisfy dreams. Nothing else has the desire or the thirst for knowledge that you possess. You are a human being.
I think it's plain to see why I pulled those two statements out of the book. They um, very much affirm the importance and the value of human life. They emphasize the uniqueness and the special abilities of being human. There's a recognition that there's a force working to hide truth, obfuscate truth, thereby destroying freedom. But you are intelligent. Now, let's take a minute and look at the definition of intelligence. So before we take a look at the definition of intelligence, I just wanted to say a few things about the value of a human being. You know, I had a conversation today with my daughter, and she was saying that isn't that aren't humans animals? We are animals, right? And I think in the modern culture, many people just think that we are animals. There's really not much difference between humans and animals. In many ways, I can see why people feel like this because that's the way a lot of people act. And because many people feel caged, that that seems like the reality. But this um, quote by Jeremy Locke brings up an important concept that no other living thing on earth or mineral has some of the powers that we have as humans. You know, the powers to satisfy dreams, the powers to dream and achieve things, the neocortex, this this other part of the brain, this other abilities that we have, this um, the ability, the freedom to choose wrong, even, you know, like we see the birds are following their instinct, like I was talking about with the geese, where they kind of have to do what their instinct tells them to do, whereas as humans, we have this whole extra array of options, and that's a very special thing. That's part of the freedom that we've been given by um, being born into this body, and its value is immense and should not be taken lightly. I'll continue now uh, with my with my presentation. The value of life. Epictetus. Oh, let me say this guy's name. It is impossible to begin to learn that which one thinks one already knows. Epictetus. And I I left that quote because the next section, um, section two, part two, um, we're beginning to get into some more difficult things, but it's a discussion of good and evil. And it's likely that you think that you already know what good and evil are, That's or good and bad, pretty basic, right? Well, I'm asking you to rethink it and reconsider a different, slightly different perspective than you've probably heard before. I want to also end by saying the human mind and the body are capable of much more than you and I can conceive of. Look up on the internet, feats of amazing strength. Feats of the mind, amazing willpower. You'll be amazed and astounded. The limits are not known. Hmm. I made a little mistake in my 
slide delivery there. I'm going to try to find my spot for you in just a second here. Where were we? Here's where we were at. We are going to start talking about intelligence. Now, let's, let's take a minute and look at the definition of intelligence. The highest faculty of the mind, the capacity for comprehending general truths, to choose, collect, gather. I pulled this um, answer someone put on Quora uh, because I liked uh, the look at the etymology and the idea that intelligence could be interpreted to mean read between the lines. And as you can see below, I pulled out out of an etymology, etymology, the root gen. This is important because intelligence is often looked at to mean only smart or only logical. But this word means much more. This word describes the usage of the holistic brain. Using the left brain, that's the intel if you take the first part of the word, or the straight info, and you commingle it with the right brain, or the gen, the birth, the right brain, which would be the creative, imaginative, intuitive brain function, the I in the middle of the word would be you. It's sort of a magic word. Intel, I, gen. So let's think of intelligence as combining the two polar opposites of our brain and thinking holistically, not just numbers and letters. Please, in these quotes, substitute in your mind man for humans, because this applies to men and women. The value of man. To understand freedom is to understand the value of a person. Everything that evil wants is to disguise and destroy your value. All authority is created by evil men to disguise your worth. To understand your own worth is to understand the nature of liberty. Jeremy Locke, The End of All Evil. Have you ever considered that there is an active force at work in your life trying to disguise your worth? It's certainly not something that would be seen or found if you were not looking for it. What things destroy the value of individual life? In our consciousness, our conscious mind, in our actions, the things we do, what erodes the value of human life? One thing I notice, television shows with lots of death for fun is one example. Dangerous vehicles, foods with toxins that kill hundreds every year. Sugar is a hidden killer that is rarely mentioned anywhere. Look what it does to people and how it fills hospitals with problems and wasted time. These are things that are silent, silently destroying the value of life. 
There are so many of them. So I thought this was a good spot to jump in. This is a good point here. So many of the things that devalue us as individuals are subtle things, little subtle things, little day-to-day subtle things. I talked about in my last presentation, the mind control spell, like how it starts in school where we're forced to stand in lines. We're all given these numbers when we're born, these social security numbers. Um, We've given these IDs. I remember going on um, a cruise ship a few years ago. Well, it's been quite a few years now. And when you're on a cruise ship, they give you this card. And this card is like your uh, passport for the boat. You know, you're not allowed to get on or off without this card. So it's like this card becomes more important than your own humanity. If you show up without it, you know, you might not even get on the boat. You might get left behind. So, like, this is our this is our life where our value is less than words on paper in so many cases. Um, when I was showing evil work and I was showing a picture of the courtroom, I noticed so often when I was working as a maintenance man in the court system how all these pieces of paper have become vastly more important than the lives that they are about. The words on the paper can sentence someone to years of imprisonment, to a life of torture and drudgery, and those words have become more powerful than the words of the human who might defend themselves. And in many cases, some of the accusation or words may not even be true. They may not even have to do with objective morality. They might have to do with nuances or legalese, you know, traps in the making of these psychopaths to keep people huddled up and insecure and devalued. So part of our uh, learning to value ourselves is recognizing that we have to transcend these words on the paper and not allow corporations to be treated as if they're humans or better, as they have done in the legal system. To recognize just how amazing we are and all the things that we can do with our bodies and our minds and our words and retake back our value. And recognize that it's really, um, there's no end to what our value could be. So I'm going to go back to the presentation. This is the End Evil presentation from the End Evil presentation series, number one. Here are just some amazing facts to think about. I just pulled these off of random searches on the, on the internet. Um, they would need to be verified, but they just point to how amazing your body is. Your body is your kingdom. Think of all the technicians and architects working on rebuilding your complex organ fabrics and all the chemicals moving around inside of these tunnels in your veins. Who are these intelligent chemists and laborers? being sent like electrical senses on the internet of your body's pathways and neural networks, all under your command. 40,000 bacteria in the human mouth. Each person has around 2,000 taste buds. The human eye can distinguish 10 million different colors. The human brain has the capacity to generate 23 watts of power. 
blood vessels that are present in the brain are almost a hundred thousand miles in length. There are a hundred billion neurons present in the brain. In early pregnancy, the neurons develop at an alarming rate of 250,000 per minute. All this to say, one human life is of immeasurable value. It's interesting also to think how much you actually command of your body and how many functions that the body operate autonomously without your conscious approval. A lot of functions run all the time, your organs, for instance, healing themselves. It's like this amazing spaceship that's fully operational, and all you have to do is sit at the helm, holding on the steering wheel. It's your castle. It's your kingdom. You are the ruler A quote attributed to Gandhi, Freedom is not worth having if it does not include the freedom to make mistakes. Notice the parallel to the quote from Viktor Frankl, to choose one's own way. When you think of a truly amazing human being, you realize the incredible power of one individual. Gandhi's philosophy affected an entire country and left a lasting impression on the world. Uh, Gandhi's quote, freedom is not worth having if it does not include the freedom to make mistakes, is something that's really been sticking out with me because our concept of mistakes in the modern world is another thing that is holding us back and keeping us trapped in the slave grind. And part of the reason is because we look at mistakes as being bad, whereas in life, mistakes are often, more often, lessons or opportunities for growth. I thought before about um, a situation you might have with a neighbor, for instance, where let's say you made a mistake where you threw a ball over the fence or your child threw a ball over the fence and it broke something in the neighbor's yard or broke a window. And then now you feel like, well, it's your responsibility to go deal with this situation. So you walk over and knock on the door and you talk to this neighbor and look, sorry, my, my kid threw this ball and I, I heard something break. So I want to take responsibility. Let me, let me pay for the replacement. Um, let me make sure and get it fixed up for you. And that person really is, respects you for being honest and coming over and recognizes that you're a neighbor and, Maybe someday they'll make a mistake, so they accept your offer and shake your hand and you become friends. You know, maybe the following week one of you runs into each other and says, hey, how are you doing, you know, and it's an opportunity when something goes wrong or something seemingly bad happens so often is an opportunity for us to learn. Often we, um, day by day, that's how we get good in anything is by experimenting by trying one thing until it doesn't work anymore. And then we realize, oh, that's not the right way to go about things. So this is taught in school, this whole idea of mistakes. And a lot of the way it's done is through the testing process. And, and this type of structure forces people into a pretty limited way of looking at mistakes and that uh, what being right and wrong means.
where when we're talking about right and wrong, what we should be thinking of those words primarily is in terms of morality, of doing something that harms or doesn't harm. But um, as far as not understanding how to do an equation properly and coming up with the wrong answer, you're in the process of learning what doesn't work. And that's not a harmful action. That's just um, a blunder or a, an opportunity to learn. So I think part of our um, revitalization of good and working towards the end of evil is also recognizing that mistakes are not something to be looked at as bad. Mistakes are part of what our freedom of learning is and our opportunity to uh, become better people. So wise words by Gandhi. I'll continue from the presentation. Another historical figure who gained respect and was known around the world for her dedication to help the sick and needy, Mother Teresa, was quoted as saying, I alone cannot change the world, but I can cast a stone across the waters to create many ripples. If Gandhi or Mother Teresa had not had the free will to make their own choices, how could they have helped others, and how could they have affected so much change in the world? The reason it's hard to recognize the true value of human being is that we are confused in the modern age about freedom and free will. These are the determining factors for understanding our true value as beings on this planet. World War II and atomic bombs are the type of things that make human life seem worthless and disposable. This is the work of true evil. Value in the modern sense is not the value I'm speaking of, which is why I differentiate here, calling it true value, which includes free will, choice, and freedom. True evil is what destroys free will, choice, and freedom. Not just doing bad stuff or what society deems wrong, that's just following the trend or the fad. I have a bit of homework for you. I'd like you to look this up for yourself. What's a modern estimate of the United States of America? How many bombs we drop every day under the current administration? That's your hard-earned money blowing shit up twice every TV show, every 12 minutes. A bomb in one of these countries. All our money going towards death. The sacrifice ritual performed in ancient times was chopping heads every night. How different is that from destruction that comes from dropping 30,000 bombs a year? How's that peace? And not only the people that are destroyed, but I think about the land plants and the environment as well. It's destruction of life, and destruction of life is wrong. So I brought up the how many bombs are dropped towards the end of that presentation 
to make the point, to make a comparison, to show folks that every day, you know, this evil is going on. A lot of people forget that we've been at war for quite some time. It is impossible to begin Oops. to learn. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, my next um, thing I was going to share with you here is from a website. I found this. I was doing a little research looking. If you just type in on the Internet, how many bombs do we drop a year? You find um, quite a few different websites, but they all, um, and they range. They, they aren't all reporting the same thing. But here's one I found, and this one might be one of seven or eight different websites that I looked at. And this one had some kind of higher numbers, so I'm not going to say these numbers are 100% accurate, but it said the United States government under the Trump administration reportedly drops a bomb every 12 minutes. That means 121 bombs are dropped in a day and 44,096 bombs per year. The Pentagon's data shows that during George Bush's eight years, he averaged 24 bombs per day, 8,750 8, a year. Over the course of Obama's time in office, his military dropped 34 bombs per day, 12,500 per year. This shows that even though American presidents are all war criminals, Trump is the most vicious of them all. And that's not what you're hearing in the media. President George Bush's military dropped 70,000 bombs in five countries. The Bureau of Investigative Journalism reported that under President Barack Obama, there were 563 strikes, largely by drones, that targeted Pakistan, Somalia, and Yemen. With each new American president, there seems to be an increase in overseas military aggression. For the American media, Obama was a local hero of liberal democracy. There was never much talk about his crimes against humanity. Trump, however, is criticized. So... um It shows that, yeah, uh, it's actually heating up. And, and so I told you, I looked on quite a few different websites and they don't all agree on exactly the numbers, but they all do agree that it has been ramping up. And with each presidency, we see more bombs being dropped. And that is not what people know about in the public. And, you know, when I mention to people that we've been at war for, many years they're like what what are you talking about we're not at war and i've even had a lot of people tell me that they think that trump ended all wars <laughs> and that's not the case the bombing has continued and you ask yourself why 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 does the bombing continue why do they keep dropping these bombs all the time well it's a money making machine you know the same people that are running governments are the same people that are building bombs and that own stocks in these companies that make bombs and they're profiteering from wars there's a really good movie um, called The Art of War, I believe, and it shows how the arms dealer is the one that wins every war, the person who's selling the weapons. So these companies like Halliburton is a good example, and you have people like Cheney that will serve an office in the government for a few years, and then when the administration changes, he'll go back and work for a company like Halliburton for the next few years, and then back to the government. So you have, and he's just one example. This is very common. These people are war profiteers, and they're war criminals. They have thousands of deaths on their hands, just very similar to the Nazis. The Nazi regime never really ended. It just metamorphosized into a different type of control device that has taken over this country. And um, 
really occulted and hidden from the view and the knowledge of your average person who doesn't know these things. So I would recommend here's um, you can do is just type in your search bar. Don't take my word for it. Don't take this random website. Um, just look it up for yourself. How many bombs did the U.S. drop in 2020? And what you find out over and over on every single website that it's lots of bombs, more than 20 per day. And most of them agree on that. So that's, you know, pretty shocking, I think. It should be shocking. It should be shocking to people that we're still doing that, that that's constantly going on. And that's, you know, people use the term we, you know, I, I have no part in that type of, that type of behavior. That's, that's evil behavior. So that's why I separate myself from people who want to be aligned with the government because that's not the way to do things. You know, that's not something you vote for. You know, if I had a chance to put in my vote, it would be no more bombs dropped anywhere until we sort out what we got going on here on the home front until every person has a home. And every person is fed, you know, and I don't, I don't believe in, I don't recommend any type of decision making on that level that, that would require people working together. Like I said, cooperating, communicating, sharing value, understanding the value of their neighbors and purposefully taking the initiative to take care of things in their own neighborhood and your own communities. So that's what the true truth seekers are doing at this point is networking with one another, forming communities, starting to care, recognizing that these type of evil actions in the world are um, out of control. And another thing I found in this research when I typed in what you're seeing there, how many bombs did the U.S. drop in 2020, is that what also happened during the Trump administration is they stopped reporting um how many bombs were being dropped. And since Trump's administration, now with the new administration, they no longer report how many bombs are dropped at all. So they're just keeping the whole thing secret. You know, there's not even a public channel of information as there used to be, apparently, that reports on that. And which is probably why we're having harder times finding exact numbers than we used to be able to find because it was used to be public knowledge that was given out freely. Now it is not. So as in so many other things we can see in the modern way things are going, the truth is becoming censored and hidden by these uh, powers that be, by these uh, large corporations and entities and shadow governments and deep state projects that are working to end sovereignty. You know, that is one of the principal aims and goals of, you know, entities like the Council on Foreign Relations is to destroy sovereignty. And they want to have a one world government. They want to have control across the board, which has largely already happened. And if you've been paying attention in the last couple of years, you can see that control has been fairly well consolidated. We're getting the same messages put out basically around the world in every country during this pandemic, which was pretty obviously planned when you look at something like Event 201, where the movers and shakers like Gates and Fauci, who own the patents to the coronavirus, were already preparing for the effects 
and the propaganda that was going to take place before any of it began. They did, um, they did like, um, a training. And if you watch that training in event 201, you see them rehearsing for the play that was about to take over the world. Now, is there such thing as sickness? Yes. Am I concerned about sickness? Yes. It's important to maintain our health and it's important to care about other people's health. However, when you look at the actions and the way things are being happened, you can see that it's very centrally controlled and the same propaganda is being put out in different ways, and in many cases the exact same way on all levels of media from radio to television, just like out of the Big Brother from 1984. The situation has become very sinister. So um, I've kind of reached the end of my presentation for tonight, and um, luckily we haven't reached the very end of evil, but we're going to keep working on it. I uh, wanted to let you guys know that I'll be back next week on Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific to do another one of these presentations, and I'll record them and put them on the Odyssey channel and my YouTube channel and my website, End Evil, so people can enjoy them or uh, learn, use the information and the words to share with others, and come to a greater understanding ourselves. The more we talk about these subjects and the more we pass them around and uh, think about them and say them in different ways, the more it becomes its conditioning for having the skills to end evil. And that's really about understanding what freedom means, understanding our value as human beings in this world, understanding our sovereignty, which is our ability to control our own body, and not giving away our power of responsibility, our power of self-defense, and fighting for the right to use these powers, to use this energy that we have for the power of good. So this show I put together with my own energy and time, and I've been doing it for quite some time now um, on my free time. Sometimes I take time off of work to get these things done. I don't ask anything in return, but you share it with others. And if you want to contribute, I do have a donate button. This is the first time I've even mentioned that on one of my shows. Um, but even better, I would recommend buying an End Evil shirt. You can go to endevil.life, and there's uh, uh, T-shirts for sale if you look in the little hamburger menu, the three lines. I think it's the last one on the list. And you can sport your End Evil T-shirt and go out in the world, and people might say, hey, what is that shirt all about? What do you mean by that? I like that tree of life. That's cool. What does that mean? And you can tell them about interconnectedness, and you can tell them about natural law. And you can tell them about how many bombs are getting dropped every day that your uh, taxes are paying for and explain to people the importance of separating from the state, explain to people the importance of core values and principles. And these are things that we can all do. We can all take the initiative. We can all be heroes in this world. This is a time of opportunity. All the mistakes that have been made that led us to this point are offering us the opportunity to become heroic and to speak out and to network, to teach and to create our communities and end evil whenever and wherever possible. Well, thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for checking out my show. I think I'm going to wrap it up. 
down to the, the last five minutes here. I think I'm just going to call it good. I'm not going to go on just for the sake of going on. So if you're still hanging out, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming. And um, have a good week. Get out there and do something. Make some friends.